Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. If you suddenly walk through your front door and find yourself in ancient Egypt, are you having a multiverse experience or are you just playing nuts? Is it possible to live in multiverse awareness without finding yourself in the psych ward? What's real and what isn't? Hey, and welcome to the 186th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. On, and on our Monday drive time show on WOON 1240 AM and www.ornworldwide.com. I'm Ben, and asking those really weird questions was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. My really weird dad. <laughs> <laughs> we have no guests this evening. It's an open line show, and we'll be answering some of the hundreds of emails we received after our October 13th appearance <coughs> Excuse me, on Coast to Coast AM with George Nury. The giant stack of them here, but before we do that, our weekly paranormal contest is at hand. So last week's question... In what U.S. state will you incur a $10,000 fine and five years in prison if you kill a Bigfoot? And the answer is the state of Washington. Yes, in 1969, Washington's uh, Skamania County, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Board of Commissioners passed an ordinance setting out a $10,000 fine, five years in prison for anyone who killed a Bigfoot in that county. So it's not a state law, but nevertheless... Uh, the winner was Kelly Redmond of Tacoma, Washington. No, oh, irony. I guess she knows the law very that's well. Skamania County, right? or she's a lawyer. Who knows? Maybe. So let's try. Let's try something else. This week, the question is: What is considered the most haunted house in Australia? Well, that's really out there. Well, we got a lot out back. You mean we got a lot of listeners <laughs> in Australia? So some. Oh, ho, 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 ho. That's funny. Anyway, so if you can handle that. Call us locally at 401-766-1240 or from anywhere in the U.S. at 800-449-1240. If I don't announce a winner during the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at bandybehindtheparanormal.com. Uh, the winner will receive a copy of my last book, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. All right, so this is a great time to call in. So our numbers today, nationally at 800-449-1240 or locally at 401-766-1240. Okay, so before we go to our emails, we I feel I have to make a comment that there are a number of people who wrote uh, either on the question form that is on the BehindTheParanormal.com website uh, or who wrote just to Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, and they have issues that they feel need to be answered, possible paranormal problems, and, and are, are frightened and everything else. Uh, I just ask you to understand that we're only two of us here, and you know I, I do a lot of the answering myself. And it's just, it's just there are. Well, for example, w w one lady has been writing to us from Florida, uh, a bit irate that I haven't answered her yet. Uh, there are 172 people in front of her who wrote after this coast to coast appearance, who are who are all asking for answers. Just please be patient. We are only two people, and we, we, we don't have any money, and we don't, you know, have any, a lot of resources, and we just uh, try to, um, to advise people as best we can according to my experience and our knowledge on, on these paranormal issues. I know people are afraid. I know that, that they're worried, but please try and be patient. Uh, I do encourage you not to call just anybody, however, that all that being said. You don't know who... Certain groups may be. Um, a lot of them are just uh, sort of out there curiosity seekers or are not competent to deal with people. Many but we do have people on a good list that we approve of. 
uh, we do. We we have uh, reporters. Uh, we call the show reporters in different parts of the country who, whom I would feel uh, confident uh, assigning to help to help you if you're in that area. And um, uh, there is someone in Florida. As a matter of fact, there is some. We have someone in the Midwest, the Southwest, the Upper Midwest, uh, and uh, even in England right now. So if you would. If you do need, if you are one of the people who's been asking for help, uh, drop us a line again. If you would be willing to talk to someone else, but we do do encourage you to ask us the advice uh, about that. And we, there are one or two people who can help help you uh, with that, uh, so you wouldn't have to just wait for us. <clears throat> so all that being said, let's go to our first uh, first email here, and this is one uh, th- that. Uh, well, go ahead and read it. But anyway, it's, it's from Barbara in Pittsfield, Illinois. All right, and she writes. I have searched for someone who understands what I feel. The Bible says not to talk to the dead, but I know my husband is with me. I feel him, he lets me know, in numerous ways. Reading what you say on your site is exactly how I feel. I don't want to talk to mediums. I have and was never completely sure with them. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's why we're reading this. Yes. That's a good point. But I do know he is with me, and he does communicate through dreams and with everyday things. Thank you for saying what what you did on your site. It helps me. I have been worried I was wrong to talk to him from what the Bible says, but the way I look at it, we are not talking to the dead, but they are not dead. They are changed in form to spirit or energy or whatever you call it, but not dead. Thank you for your thoughts on the subject. Okay, now the reason we read that is not a question. It's more in the, in the nature of an observation, and it's kind of self-serving. I mean, a lot of these emails, uh, uh, people just kind of go, aha, never really understood this until, until you explained it that way. And it's not Ben and me explaining it. We, we just give out information. We tell you what we think and what we believe, and it's up to you to take it and uh, decide if it's any good or not. But this lady... Uh, Barbara here uh, gets it. And there are so many people who don't. People write in asking, oh, can you recommend a good medium? Can you recommend a good psychic? And the answer is no. You know, it's not that there aren't good mediums or good, good psychics, but a lot of them may, may, be, may have legitimate gifts, but they don't get it. They don't interpret it properly, in our opinion, and this sort of thing. So there are a few who do. But um, we think that well, as I say, I'm, I tend to be kind of a paranormal socialist at times. I think all of us should be able to do our own work in the paranormal because the paranormal is the background to our lives. And here's an example. This lady obviously lost her husband, uh, although that, that's not a good way to put it. The nature of her husband's life has changed. He's no longer physically present with her. But then again, he is. In our multiverse idea, parallel worlds in which people never died. Uh, examples of that we've cited many times on this show. So this woman gets it. She understands that you don't need mediums and psychics. You don't need to do all kinds of special things to do something as simple as remain in contact and in, in love with your loved ones. One of the problems, Ben and I were talking about the problems of society, and one of them is that people think, what, the things, things are so complicated that they can't understand them. They need machines, they need medicines, they need some kind of artificial things to help them get things that's done. That's why holistic medicine is coming back. Yeah, that's true. You can help yourself. This woman has it exactly right. And, I mean, the Bible, uh, first of all, don't be too sure you, you, you know what the Bible says, if you're a Christian who believes in the Bible or, or, or even Jewish, 
because uh, the original translation, we don't know what they said. Uh, the half of the ones in English are wrong. Uh, but in your heart, if you are in touch with someone who has passed, quote-unquote, in this simple, quiet way, then you probably are. Love cuts through all kinds of things, including the boundaries of these parallel worlds, as we as we say in the paranormal. So I think that Barbara really has it um, has it nailed here, and uh, it's simple love. That's all there is to it, and I think that she's got it got it uh, <coughs> um, very very well um, said and understood here. Okay, here's an interesting one. This is um, from Tom in Barrington, New Hampshire. Okay. And Tom has a question about something that a lot of people have been asking about. Okay, so Tom writes to us. What are your thoughts on the 1928 Charlie Chaplin movie, The Circus, containing a time traveler, hoax, or possible? Okay, that's a good question. Now, now, that doesn't seem to be uh, a really relevant question (laughs) as far as a lot of the paranormal issues are concerned, but a lot of people have been asking about this, this film. If you have access to YouTube on the Internet, you can see this film. Just put in uh, Chaplin, C-H-A-P-L-I-N, as in Charlie Chaplin, and uh, 1928, or Circus. The, the name of the film was The Circus. And what this footage is of, as I understand it, and I have seen it several times, I've looked at it very closely, is a sort of a, of a documentary about the premiere of this film and it's outside uh, was it uh, the, the Chinese theater was it's called in Hollywood where a lot of premieres have occurred and still do yeah. and uh, there were a lot of people there and in one of the scenes there's a, a fake zebra standing out in front of the theater and two people walk by one is an ordinary looking fellow and the other is a woman again clearly dressed in early 20th century clothing with something held up to her, her mouth uh, that looks just like a cell phone and uh, you can see something black in her hand, and she's got you know her hands just as if we would hold it, and she's talking, and everybody says, "Aha, a cell phone from 1928." You know, this must be a time traveler. Well, so a number of questions arise here, and it, it does very much look like she's talking on a cell phone. But but the questions that arise, for example, are, "All right, who's she talking to?" To what to use a cell phone, if that's what it was, you need some sort of major infrastructure. Uh, such as uh, such as cell towers or satellites or something like this. Now there is some information on this uh, that uh, may or may not be the case, but it makes mo- the most sense to me. Someone has come forward and said this is their either I think grand not grandparents but grand aunt and grand uncle, because the thing that struck me was that, that the man is walking not very far in front of her. And to me, I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm creeped out today when I'm walking down the street and somebody's talking on a cell phone. And there's nobody there, you know. Um, yeah, I get creeped out when you, I go into the living room and you're talking with your girlfriend on the computer. And I hear this disembodied voice. No, you so, don't. Well, you do, but usually I have headphones on and it looks like I'm just talking to my computer like, hi. Well, I still think it's creepy. It was in 1928. Well, it is creepy. This man certainly would have heard her. Probably would have turned around and looked and all this sort of thing. So what, what this fellow who came forward claims is that this is the uh, his grand-aunt and grand-uncle and that he was walking a little bit in front of her. They were going to the premiere of the film, and that the woman had recently become um, she, the victim of dementia, and that what she was really doing was holding her hand up uh, to fix a comb and to scratch her head, you know, a hair, sort of a hair comb and to scratch her head, which is a nervous habit she had developed, and talking to herself all the way. So that certainly would explain it. 
Um, I, I think so. Again, check it out on YouTube. Uh, circus film by uh, Charlie Chaplin, and, and see what you think yourself. But firstly, I, I think that's a very good explanation. Now, here's a longer one. This is from Jay in Detroit, and um, we'll just um, Ben, if you could just read the entire thing. <laughs> it's it's very long. Uh, well, a lot of these are very long, so just uh, you know, bear with it and sort of we'll take it in sections. Oh, okay. So I listened to your I listened to you last evening on Coast to Coast, and I and I am and I'm hoping that you are able to share some information. I reside in an old family home, which I am certain is located on a spiritual vortex. Many of my ancestors and family members have experienced unusual phenomenon here the, over the past 125 years. Well, why don't we, well, let's hold on and explain what a so-called spiritual vortex is. Okay. We do find that there are places that have a lot of concentrated energy coming up out of the ground. Now, these are more geotechnical than they are spiritual in my opinion you know spiritual is a slippery term and these are these can be created by seismic forces or other things we don't really understand but there are a lot of electromagnetic fields that are generated by the earth because the earth is really a giant electrical generator because it turns around its core and all this business and that creates electricity which in turn uh, electrical currents have electromagnetic fields around them so there are places that we find uh, that one of the necessary ducts that has to be lined up for paranormal events to occur is that you have these vortices, for lack of a better term, coming up out of the ground. And they can be measured and they can have an effect. They are exacerbated or made more powerful by things like sandy or clay soils or high water tables. We find that. So uh, this guy may be onto something um, if this, this really, this force actually exists. So go ahead. All right. So during the past 30 years, since I have lived here, I have had ancestral visitations and seen extraordinary visions. The most unusual was um, was two beings, one bearded, bearded red-haired man who lived on a plane in the sky. P-L-A-I-N. Yeah, not, yeah. not, yeah, not, yeah. not like a flying plane. Yeah. He was a very, pow- very powerful, very angry and paced back and forth while cursing and making thunder and lightning. Sounds like Thor. <laughs> uh, at the time, I observed a beautiful lady of pale of a pale complexion who was dressed in blue. Her head was bowed, and she had very kind eyes, but seemed to be embarrassed by making eye con by my making eye contact with her. She lifted her head, her head, not Ed, and smiled at me, but was pained and shed tears because of something awful that she. Uh, that she caused here on earth she was kneeling and seemed to be part of a mountain just before i saw these beings i experienced a drain of ordinary life force and an infusion of heightened energy and awareness which lasted for about three weeks a period of time which i lived between two worlds i could hear the thoughts and intentions of individuals and saw light around people and objects as and was aware of the uh, underlying meaning of coincidences, and was able to see into the future. Okay, it, l- l- let's let's hold it there. Uh, a little explanation is needed. 
Now, as you listen to this uh, in your car or wherever you may be, this guy might come across like a blithering lunatic. All right, you know, you're seeing uh, angry red-haired men and all these, you know, strange female uh, humanoid here or whatever and all this stuff. But, you know, <clears throat> speaking, coming out of the... Uh, academic background that I come out of and uh, all this sort of thing. You know, I try to like to think that our feet are on the ground. Uh, ben and I approach the paranormal from, uh, we have different talents in that direction. But one thing we find that is undeniable is that in these situations where, as we would put it, worlds intersect and blend and cross and otherwise uh, are, are um, active and uh, accessible by us by means of these very energies we talked about before uh, which seem to play havoc with space time at times these things happen they can be real uh, we've seen it ourselves uh, uh, the big case i'm always citing that, that, that we've been working on for several years in connecticut uh, th this is a normal day for these people strange uh, people um creatures that essentially would be undefinable and uh, unable to be categorized in, in our own in our own lexicon of, of, of life, uh, seem to you know go trotting through the living room on every possible case. Everybody witnesses this, and this is the sort of thing that we need to take more seriously. Not just say, "Well, the person's a nut." You have to broaden your mind here. In quantum physics, in the interpretation of the multiverse, if the particular physicist believes it, you will be told that anything that is possible, anything that is conceivable, including weird creatures and strange guys with red hair running around or whatever, is possible somewhere or somewhen in these parallel worlds. And it is possible they can cross into ours when the energies are right. And you can have legitimate experiences such as this. The problem is that we are so narrow-minded about these sorts of things that we consider these people crazy. We, we used to lock them up. Now we fill their, their pockets full of pills. And we just say, well, you know, they're schizos. Well, they're not necessarily true. And I've, as, as I've often, those of you who know me know that I worked in psychiatric hospitals as a grad student and as a student for the priesthood many years ago. And a lot of these people were the sanest people I had ever met in my life and among the most intelligent. So don't be so quick to write off things like this. Okay, Benjamin. Right. So uh, the conclusion of this, this state embedded but never left completely, and I am forever changed. Since this experience about 20 years ago, I've had a hard time functioning normally. I am jobless and most, and I'm almost comfortable alone. Uh, the house is in shambles, and I have a difficult time in normal relationships. I have tried, but just can't seem to pull myself out of this state. Do you have any suggestions as to what I can do to regain my footing and learn to function in uh, in ways that bring brings me peace and allows me to live a happier life? What can I do to protect myself from going too far into the other side again? Okay, very, very good point. Very, very good letter. Now, I would only say to Jay that there are two points that he makes here at the end of, or, 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 or brings up at the end of his note. One, that when you are aware of these other worlds, and the thing is, they are not, these, these worlds are not separate from each other. In our experience, they're, they're real. They are around us all the time, next to us all the time, and our life is shared 
with the life in those other worlds. It's, it's not a closed system. It's an open system, as it's said in physics. And these things are real. The problem is, as I just suggested, that when we are aware of these other worlds, when we're aware of our other lives that we're living in what here is our subconscious mind, when we're living these other lives uh, in these parallel worlds, we, we very often will maybe lose our footing in this one. And that is when you tend to be judged by our society as being crazy. Now, interestingly, as I often say, in primitive societies, so-called, these people were considered holy. They were considered in touch with the big picture. They were considered in touch with greater realities. And they were almost super people because they were in touch with their lives in other worlds and their experiences, their knowledge, their wisdom, uh, or their mistakes or whatever in, a, in these parallel lives. Okay, This is something that regression therapists are becoming aware of. Uh, if you believe in reincarnation and all this sort of thing, this explains all of that. But how to remain with feet on the ground. Okay. First of all, we do have to live in our conscious world, which is at the moment is this one. We have to make the best of it. As far as how to keep one's feet on the ground, how to fit in, it's a matter of tying into the world's where you have the most knowledge, wisdom, and experience, if you can do that. I suggest meditation as a way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and Ben, you have some experience with this. What would you suggest to Jay? Well, I don't know why you'd want to be a part of this world, but... Uh, well, you have to keep... You know, I know well, what you mean. Well, you have to be able to function in normal life. You can always so. be a rebel. But. Yes, but if you can't function and you can't pay attention because you're just like... I don't know, you're just all over the place and like me in class today, for example, because I was like, I don't know, I, I think I was like falling asleep or something, I don't know. But the point being is that meditation is what keeps you grounded and if you do that, it'll just, it'll bring everything together and then it'll bring your mind, body and soul together and not separated like everything else wants you to think oh your brain is separate from everything else or your or your soul is separate from everything else it's all in one package yeah it's a package deal put it together rather than take it apart yeah well it's funny you and i were talking yesterday about the importance of sleep oh yeah again talking about simple answers to complicated questions they're not really complicated questions get enough sleep (laughs) as ben yawns here it's (laughs) It's important to simply to simply balance your life. Get Have a nice l- diet. Exercise yeah. once a day. Yeah, I mean these are all simple and common common uh, pieces of advice here, but this can help you balance your larger super life, if you want to call it that. You are blessed that you can be aware of these things without saying, ah, you know, it's nonsense or it's just one of those things. You will, Jay, I'm sure, become a greater and bigger person, a super person, as it were. Now, you know, you know what I mean by that, one who is beyond one world and aware of many things and the wisdom of that. Just keep it simple. And I'd say uh, do a little meditation, get some guidance on it. If you're lucky enough to have, say, a Zen center near you, uh, they are very open people, and they'll very often uh, have public uh, meditation sessions. You learn the basics. For free. <laughs> yeah. That was, we're lucky to have one near us. Yeah. And so, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's, um, I'd say that's the initial advice. Keep it simple and uh, get yourself a little bit organized as far as uh, life is concerned. Okay, so let's uh, stop here for just a brief commercial break. Just um, 
I wanted to mention uh, the gift shop at the Museum of Work and Culture down here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. If you're, because I know we have listeners all over the world, but if you ever have the chance to get to New England, uh, make sure you stop in uh, Rhode Island, which is not very big. But so drive slowly, or you'll miss it. Yeah. But there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful things here uh, in the Blackstone Valley, particularly, uh, which is shared uh, bet- with Massachusetts between Worcester and Providence. Lots of wonderful bike trails, uh, beautiful scenery, uh, nice and interesting things to do. Little museums, craft shops, things of that kind. And we have the Museum of Work and Culture in the, the city of Woonsocket. It's a wonderful a Disney quality a sort of a place that that uh, talks about uh, and illustrates the history, the, the labor history of the Blackstone Valley here, which is the birthplace of the American Industrial Revolution. And uh, I would suggest that you go to the gift shop there, and if you're interested in, in uh, purchasing my books when you're in town, uh, they usually have them stocked, and uh, including my, my, my history of Rhode Island that I wrote with Glenn Laxton of Providence's Channel 12, and the, which is used in several school districts now, and you can get that as well uh, as my paranormal titles. And, uh, of course, also you can go to BehindTheParanormal.com, order them from there, uh, or Amazon and all the usual uh, suspects in that regard. So uh, check them out. And um, any questions, certainly uh, send them in uh, by means of our form on the Behind the Paranormal site. And we will get to, to them once we get through the 175 people we, we're dealing with right now. But that's where you can get my books, and I hope you, uh, you do uh, uh, get hold of them and, and enjoy them. Okay, here is... Uh, Here's another one here. This is from uh, Matt in Austin, Texas. And Matt uh, points out what he believes is a grammatical error on the website, which is probably a mistake since professionally I am an editor of books, newspapers, and things for 30 years. And uh, he makes a noble effort, but I don't think he's right. But we'll skip that and go to his, uh, his comment right. about something else. All right. So also thanks for mentioning how it's possible to know with certainty that we know uh, that we know anything or we don't know anything i also like the science slash straight ruler to reality slash basketball analogy but sincerely how do you even know that that's a very good question matt essentially it's this is a question about the nature of knowledge how do we know anything whether it comes to the paranormal or anything else. And he's referring to an analogy I used on Coast to Coast, which was the idea that people ask, well, well, how do you make paranormal things acceptable to modern science, okay, whatever that may mean. And I've always been an advocate that, that you can't. First of all, scientists are human as well as a number of other things, and they will, you know, and for the true believer, no proof is required. For the unbeliever, no proof is enough. So you're never going to prove anything to modern science. They've been trying to do that since 1880, when a group of psychiatrists, and, or rather psychologists, rather, uh, got together, uh, and among uh, and other people who were uh, interested in finding out what was going on in the realm of mediums and psychics, and they formed the uh, um, Society for Psychical Research in London, and eventually there was a, an American Society for Psychical Research in America, of which I've been a member for many years, and they finally, it seems to be, they seem to be deciding finally, you're not going to prove anything to modern science. Now they're getting into transpersonal psychology and other things that kind of go beyond the realm of science and look, look at the mind and its own powers. And the basketball analogy was, was this. I, I suggested that, that the scientific method and science itself, as we use it, is a straight ruler. 
and the paranormal or reality is a basketball and you can't measure a basketball with a straight ruler therefore people just sort of say well all right well the basketball must not exist well that's really stupid uh, generations and generations and generations back to the last ice age and probably before knew that the paranormal existed, that God existed, that, that these things were real. It's very we, arrogant to say otherwise. Extremely. We live in a very arrogant society, and we wonder, relying on such forms of knowledge, why we don't know anything. And why no one sure. likes us. Yeah, why nobody likes us, why we're not satisfied, why we're kind of lying by the side of the road, and we're all well-fed, but completely empty, spiritually and morally, and, and in a way, intellectually. So uh, I think that, that that's a good question. How do we even know that? The fact is we don't know anything and we have to have the humility to admit it. And that's where it really begins. I think we, we just take the best we can of our observations, realize that uh, the arrogance does not work, and just humbly cling to one another. Because in the end, all we have is God and each other. And the question is, well, what is God, you know, and all this stuff. Well, that's, another, that's for another show. But I think I wanted to just uh, pat Matt on the back here. I think it's a good question. We just start Matt. at the beginning. Pat Matt on the back. Pat Matt, yeah, okay. Well. All right. Uh, here is one. Uh, this is from Richard, and it doesn't say where he's from. But again, this is another example of how don't write people off as crazy just yet. Not, not that I'm saying that he is. I, actually, I don't think he is, but Matt, uh, Ben's, yeah, Matt's going to read it. Ben's going to read it. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for calling me Matt. Pat on the back. A guy called me Brian yesterday. <laughs> All right, I once went to ancient Egypt to see some of the construction of what was called the Great Egyptian Pyramid. Time of event was around 10,000 BC. This was no daydream as when I returned, I had sand in my shoes. There is more to this event, but I'm not very good with emails. So, okay. Richard. All right. Yes, Richard... Uh, and again, you know, before you write this off, oh, Richard, you know, he had a dream, or he's maybe he did, maybe he is crazy, you know, maybe he had a, just a dream. But a lot of the so, the so-called crazy people whom I dealt with in psychiatric hospitals, I believed, were experiencing real worlds. This is where I first got some of these ideas: real worlds, and were not crazy at all. They and, and, and essentially to understand how this would work, you look at what the multiverse, as we call it, really is. Again, it's this enormous collection or family, interactive collection of, of parallel realities in which all things are possible. So somewhere or somewhere in the multiverse, Richard really is in ancient Egypt. And it's very possible that he, either through a dream or through some other uh, alternative experience, uh, alternative form of consciousness, became aware of where he already is living a life in ancient Egypt. Again, time doesn't mean anything. Anything that has occurred or will occur is uh, taking place in this these one of the worlds or more of, the, of this multiverse, and, and we're we're there in many of them, and so this is a very common experience. Shamans, I'm always referring to shamans who are uh, you might refer to them as tribal medicine men or women, uh, the great spiritual leaders of some of the so-called primitive cultures. We'll talk about this matter-of-factly that they routinely travel into these other worlds 
and find information or do things that will help their people. Uh, sometimes it's good information, sometimes it's bad, but they will travel routinely in, in these worlds. They'll, they'll tell you that they've been to other planets or this sort of thing. And, and these people come from traditions like the Australian Aborigines, whose traditions go back at least 30,000 years without a break. I think that deserves some respect. And these people are not necessarily stoned or high. They are people who know what the big picture is. A little fun fact, there's a pizza hut like right across from the Pyramids of Giza. So they can, oh, eat, so they can eat pizza and look at the Pyramids of Giza. All right, well, hopefully in the, wherever, if you go to, well, I'm sure it wasn't there in ancient Egypt, but they well, were, I don't know. No, well, I don't know, maybe. All right, well, next time you go to Egypt, uh, whether, whether it's ancient Egypt or not, take advantage of the... Pretty sure they didn't have pizza in I don't Egypt. think we're supposed to be advertising. Right? Well, I'm not, well, no, I'm not advertising, I'm just saying a little fun fact. Well, we can send them a bill. Well, I guess. Yeah, all right, okay, all right. So, um, again, you know, don't be too sure what you're right off. And I learned that even in journalism. Don't be too sure what not to believe. Okay, here's a, here's a person. This is uh, Z. Is this the first initial from Lawton, Oklahoma? And Z um, refers to a term that is uh, interesting, the omniverse. Okay? Again, words are not quite enough to really talk about this, but omnivores. Z has to say. Omnivores, omniverse. I wanted to take a moment and thank you both for addressing this subject matter on C2C the other night. <clears throat> I have been writing a blog on this subject for several years now, and if you care to read it, here's the link. And she gives the link. You can give the link, sorry. Okay. Um, quant- quantum C. Uh, no, quant- quantum Maybe we should put it on the Behind the Paranormal website. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do it's that. It's interesting. Yeah, okay. So I also wanted to say that this sort of perspective is sorely lacking within the greater paranormal studies community as well as the ufology and related communities. If any real and true wisdom is to be gained within these other subjects of study, then this new way of looking at life and the omniverse needs to be taken in. I've also heard... Yeah, that's... um, uh, Can I say that? Thank you. Oh, I didn't know you want to say All right. this. No, uh, th- but the, the term omniverse is interesting. I've also heard the term metaverse. Ugh. And that was first used, remember we, we had a contest question on that. People thought I invented the term, but it was actually uh, used in the, first used in the 1890s and because the, these concepts were coming forward. But I think uh, Z here is another, <laughs> ZP are the, are the, the full initials, uh, it sort of gets it as well. A lot of people are beginning in the paranormal community, if you will, whether it be people who research ghosts or UFOs or everything. They're beginning to, to kind of get used to the idea of a big picture with all this. Because Ben and I use this uh, to explain all areas of the paranormal, not just quote-unquote ghosts. But when we research stuff and for, 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 we research things for years in some cases, more and more will come out, uh, things that seem to be unrelated paranormally, and they do seem to be... Uh, related by the process, which is the, the crossing of world boundaries here. And again, maybe we're all wrong, maybe the spiritualists are right, but uh, so far it doesn't look that way. But uh, thank you for your comment, uh, Z, there. Sounds like, what, men in black or something? <laughs> and I don't like to give people's names on the air. You never know what's going to come back to haunt them. Okay, here's, uh, here's one from Don in uh, Elyria, Ohio. Okay. And... The man from O'Leario writes, 
Uh, I listened to you on Coast to Coast last night and thought you had a very unique point of view on the subject of the afterlife. As I listened, I thought that your view on the hereafter could be summarized as all time exists at the same time. Comments? Question mark? Okay. That, that's uh, essentially, essentially it. Uh, somebody wrote in last week and said, um, well, to, to quote uh, literally, uh, well, it was, um, if time don't exist, explain rust. Okay, well, I, didn't, I never said that time didn't exist. No, no one said that. I just said that it was a function of our consciousness. It's as Einstein said, it was it's relative. Yes. Uh, ben used the example of sitting in class that he enjoys, and then before you know it, time's gone, and, you know, it seemed like... Even though I've been there for two and a half hours. Yeah, it didn't seem like two and a half hours, so... All depends, and you know the old sayings. Uh, you know, time flies when you're having fun. All that business. Uh, so yes, essentially, all these things in this multiverse, if that if it's correct interpretation, exist at the same time. That includes well, if if you look in my, in my book, uh, and even on the website, I think it's a New England Ghosts uh, website. You'd think I'd know that. Uh, oh no, yeah, I'll tell you where it is. It's on the behindtheparanormal.com website, the show website on the talking points page. If you scroll down a couple of miles, you'll see. Uh, my own illustration, uh, very simplistic, uh, admittedly, of the multiverse and how it works. And it's a bunch of circles, or as we use the analogy, bubbles, all existing side by side as they would in your bathtub or your sink. And in each one, uh, I have a little illustration. One has uh, Vincent van Gogh and the world of 1910. Another one has two people walking a dog in the modern times. Other, uh, another one has a Roman soldier in it. And this is an illustration of the multiverse. We're only conscious of it. And when I say function of our consciousness, uh, we're, we're conscious of one moment in the multiverse at a time. And it, it flows in a normal, um, understandable manner because that's the way our consciousness and our joint consciousness as a species organizes it. Were we outside of that, we would experience all these different worlds at the same time, which we're not really capable of doing. It might appear that we were crazy, or it might really drive us crazy. So we we can only experience this uh, on certain levels, and it's usually not the conscious level. All those shamans do experience it on the conscious level. So uh, what we're talking about here is, yes, things all occur at the same time, apparently. Past, future. Uh, and everything in between. So I think that that's a very good comment. A lot of people, Ben, I think, are becoming more aware of this sort of thing. Their consciousness is expanding because of it, and we're getting a lot of positive feedback because of it. And again, it's not because of Ben and me. We just give information. There are a lot of other people talking about this, too. And or it's because the world boundaries are fading. Well, that's another thing. As uh, Well, just to mention that, world boundaries... Are electromagnetic. We believe we have photographs of them. Uh, they're brilliantly lit because of the plasma, I think, that's involved. And uh, I think we might be looking at uh, the traditional definition of the word light. Go to the light. You know, you hear all this from mediums and psychics. Well, what the light is, apparently, is world boundaries. And if you tell somebody to go to the light, they might be crossing into a world that's hellish. So I'd be very careful about that if I were you. Run away from it. Yeah, Don't exactly. Go there. Stop. Uh, so in any case, that uh, that, that might be uh, all uh, part of the explanation that we believe uh, is responsible for paranormal events. So uh, again, uh, that's uh, I think you're absolutely right there, uh, Don, about that uh, time issue. Okay, now here's a very serious one. This is from Kathy in Redding, California, and it's about exorcism. Great. So uh, Kathy writes here. 
I admire your work on poltergeists and parasites. My question is, have you ever been involved in an exorcism, or how do you explain it with your theories? Okay, that, that's a, a hard question to answer because the memories are very bad. Uh, I was involved, especially as a seminary student and as a, a grad student, in five exorcisms. Now, seminary students uh, ordinarily are not involved in things like that. However, I was in the unique position of having started my, my work in the paranormal uh, without official sanction from the church, I might add, uh, in the um, mid, I'll say, the, well, the early 70s, certainly. And it led me to contact and uh, become the, the um, uh, sort of un under the wing of, of a man named Father John J. Nicola, who was a Jesuit priest who was uh, probably the leading uh, exorcist expert an exorcism expert of the time. He was the technical advisor for the film The Exorcist, something that he regretted until his dying day. And he, I, I would see him relatively frequently. He was in Washington, D.C. in a very anonymous job that allowed him to spend a lot of time on this subject. And he was an assist, assistant director of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Now, it so happened that, that my brother, Ben's uncle, was a... Catholic priest who taught on the faculty of the Catholic University of America, uh, in the midst of whose campus is this huge basilica. I believe it's the largest church in America. It's quite distinctive with Byzantine architecture and a huge dome that's uh, <clears throat> quite uh, unforgettable. And he was, uh, Father Nicola was the uh, was a, uh, known to my brother, and, and my brother brought us together, and I became sort of a student of his. And I'd see him rather frequently as I went down. So uh, between him and another priest in Augsburg, Diocese of New York, where I was a student in the seminary uh, in the mid to late 70s, I was involved in several exorcisms, notably at uh, several state hospitals where I was working, Augsburg and Norwich State Hospitals, uh, one, in, one in New York, one in Connecticut, both of which are mercifully closed now. Looking back on it, of course, I had the theological uh, approach at the time, uh, and looking back on it, I, I think that what happens is this. The notion of parasites, which are traditionally known in, as demons or evil spirits, uh, or even vampires, because as I, as I often say, these things are described in ancient literature, I mean really ancient literature, as life-sucking ghosts. And as I would run into these things, and now Ben and I say, you know, this is, this is what these things, they're parasitical. They're not spirits. They're, they're, they're life forms from one or more of these parallel worlds we've been talking about, feeding upon people here and elsewhere as, um, you know, as a mosquito would, almost. Only they're eating not blood, but, but energy, which apparently is their source of sustenance. And so you can just see how in folklore these things would be, because people didn't understand parallel worlds and stuff, maybe at least not the way we do today, they would understand that these were uh, some sort of spirits or demons or whatever, because they don't do us any good. So in any case, this is, uh, these things seem to be the reason for exorcisms and, and what we call possession. When they get involved with someone, they will attach themselves to a host, in, this ca in our case here, humans, and uh, usually someone who is very weak, very vulnerable, and they at times will bond with the host. I don't know, those of you who are of my vintage might remember the Patty Hearst incidents uh, 40, uh, 40 odd years ago when the daughter of a uh, great uh, media magnet uh, was, was kidnapped by a bunch of terrorists, homegrown terrorists here in America, 
and uh, actually bonded with them to the point of becoming one of them. And she ran around for years before she was caught. And I, I think she never was. I think she turned herself in. But she became part of this terrorist group. And, and we often see this in terrorist situations, not often, but sometimes, where people will literally become sympathetic to the cause of the people who are holding them prisoner. This, this will sometimes happen in parasite cases. People will bond with them. I had, we had one woman, this is before Ben's time, but she was here in Rhode Island, and she was actually writing love poems to this thing, who she believed was a ghost who was a lover from a former life. And that's obviously not quite how it seems to work, but uh, it was a parasite and a uh, non-human entity that was uh, sucking her energy. And this, when this gets to the point of... of No return. No return. Well, there's always a return, but bond, bonding, and uh, we might call it possession. It certainly results in, in the what is traditionally known as demonic possession. I saw this on five occasions. And uh, well, the interesting thing was that when the priest and I went in on this, uh, several of the exorcisms worked, all right, and it was the Roman Catholic formula for exorcism that was used. Uh, one or two others, uh, two others, I should say, uh, worked temporarily because the thing came back, and one did not work. And if I looked very carefully today at what I think I know now and didn't know then, the one that didn't work was a person who just had very, very little belief in God and or at least the Roman Catholic approach to God and this sort of thing. And it seems that the more people believe or have a deep faith somewhere left in them, the more it works. It's like what Jesus said in the Bible. You yeah, know? your faith has made you well, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, very very often he... People forget that. Jesus was sort of sweeping through Palestine and healing everybody. Well, he would always say, your faith has made you well. He didn't say, I did it. He said, you did it, essentially. Yeah. And in Nazareth... Like the one guy that actually said he did it was Moses, and then he was barred from Eden. That Eden, uh, the promised land. Oh, that's yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, yeah, I think he died before the people could go in. Uh, no, he was still alive. He was just hanging out there. Outside. Well, he was on top of the mountain, kind of watching people go in. He, yeah. he was never he never entered the promised land. No. Well, anyway, uh, when Jesus uh, in Matthew goes to Nazareth and his own hometown, which is interesting because there's. Some evidence Nazareth wasn't built until the third century AD. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he couldn't. He was unable. The gospel says he was unable, and that's what it says in Greek too. He was unable to do any miracles there. And people came and said, "Well, we knew you as a kid. We watched you grow up. And who do you think you are?" And people didn't have any faith. And so it's faith that's everything. So even in cases of exorcism, we had people who, the more faith they had down deep, the more they were able to rid themselves. Uh, or through the help of the exorcism service, ceremony, uh, or ritual, uh, of these parasites. But essentially, uh, I've seen, I I suppose, what amount to exorcisms is, uh, without using any rituals, by people just being uh, told to bring in positive energy. So I'm not saying, you know, it's not legitimate, but I think that it's narrow, and other approaches could be used. Uh, Sometimes there are really, really negative results, I have heard two exorcisms. It depends who's doing them. Uh, I did not see that myself. But again, uh, three, uh, two of them seemed to work. Two worked temporarily, and one did not work at all. And it kind of confused the priest in me. I have seen other forms of divine intervention. As I, we had a, a priest on um, locally here on our show one time, and I said, you know, the name of Jesus is extremely powerful, but. I said, you know, you really want to see them scatter, 
try the name of Isis, the ancient Egyptian goddess Isis, who was well-known uh, even today among people of the Mediterranean, and people might say, well, she uh, was adopted by Christians as the Virgin Mary, and all that's all heretical to say that, of course, but uh, there are all sorts of views on that, but, but, but her name is incredibly powerful and certainly positive. So again, it depends on your faith. So um, that's the best way I can really answer that. And according to my theories, uh, Kathy's question here, that's a matter of, of again, the multiverse and these things coming in and, and just attaching themselves to people. And I think the critical thing to realize with possession, demonic possession as it's called, is that there, there has to be some sort of tacit agreement on the part of the victim. Sounds funny, but they... I don't think you, that these things can just come in and take over your personality unless in, in, a, in a way down deep you agree to it. And I think folklore knows this. I've often used the, the idea, you remember in the story of Dracula, oh, yes. Jonathan Harker is at the castle in Transylvania and Dracula comes to the door and says, before he lets him in, he says, enter of your own free will. It was Dracula couldn't take him and drag him into the castle against his will. Yeah. So in a way, this is kind of a funny folklorish memory, because folklore is the vessel of the memory of the human race. Yeah. Uh, that that you have to kind of almost agree to this. It's kind of scary. Actually, it's very scary, and I hope I never have to witness it again. But that's uh, that's the answer to the question. All right. Uh, I've still got a few minutes here. Okay. Uh, this is. Um, a question about mental illness or a comment about mental illness uh, from, I guess it's Galen in Paris, Texas. Great. I'm from Paris, France. Um, I'm so glad to see someone thinks it's possible that things that exist in interfacing multi-dimensions do at times become available for bleed-through events and communications. It appears to me you accept that we just don't have the tools yet for everyone to see what's there, but it's there nonetheless. It will someday be scientific fact, just as the bacteria and dust mites we once couldn't see now are. Yeah, well, that, that's a good point. It's not really a question here, Gil, well, but he makes, yeah. it, makes a good point. Well, what's interesting is, in the in one of the books I've read, I think it was Day of Piglet, like it was saying how um it was, it was making it was poking fun at science and it was saying how oh yeah science once said oh it's impossible to do all the, to do this stuff it was like oh it's impossible to go into space and yet like 20 years later they went into space it's impossible to fly and yet people flew and et cetera et cetera et cetera the list goes on and on and on and on and now they're like the paranormal doesn't exist well oh oh <laughs> exactly what well, you know, well, one thing I'm, I'm going to point out too, Ben, is that in two weeks we're going to have Kathleen Marden uh, back on the show, and Kathleen uh, is the is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, and Betty and Barney Hill were the famous couple from the 1961 who were the first major, abdu- well, I guess the first people who were abducted uh, supposedly by aliens in New Hampshire, and they they were. Um, the case was was picked up by the news, the first one really to to, to earn major media coverage around the world. And she uh, has just finished a book with our friend Stan Friedman, uh, the great UFO researcher uh, from Canada, who then the two of them wrote a book called Science Was Wrong. And it goes into example after example after example of how of science to say, well, this is the way it is, and then it turned out to be incorrect, as you just 
you just suggested. Yeah, science has been wrong in the past. Yeah, so. and we don't mean to, to, to badmouth science all the time, because half the time the problem isn't science; it's scientists who are narrow-minded or arrogant or this sort of thing. And I kind of found that out in the late uh, '70s, early '80s when I was. Uh, running around uh, trying to find physicists who would back up what I was beginning to suspect, which was this multiverse idea. And I'd go to university campuses looking for them, and some of them were sympathetic. Others would kind of look down their nose and sniff that I had the wrong academic degrees because my degree was in philosophy and not physics. And others would say, well, you know, you know, it can't be this way. You don't know what you're talking about. No. Others were sympathetic but would not come along on any investigations or look into it because they were afraid of their jobs. So that seems to be uh, an ongoing issue with folks. So yeah. anyway, uh, so yeah, tune in in two weeks. We're going to have Kathleen Marden on. Uh, from, she lives in Florida, and she's um, going to talk about the case uh, of her aunt and uncle's abduction. And we're, we're kind of doing the show again because we had her on our CBS show on, on Sunday night a few weeks ago, and there was such incredible interference and CBS didn't know where it came from. This has happened to us several times when we talk about this subject that um, we, we even lost the podcast. We have a famous lost show, but we'll have her back here. Okay, uh, <clears throat> let's um, uh, wrap up here, sorry to say. And uh, again, uh, check out our uh, show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. There are all sorts of stuff about our future guests, past guests, and all sorts of uh, information about upcoming shows. And uh, also over 200 podcasts of previous shows, both on CBS, uh, WON here, uh, and also on the Achieve Radio uh, Internet station that we have been uh, uh, using uh, for several years now. So many thanks to our producer, the great Craig Pelletier. And we'll see you right here on next Monday, November 8th, on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. Our guest will be the great British compiler of UFO data, Philip Mantle. And that will be a pre-recorded interview. All right. So on our regular Sunday show on November 7th, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on CBS Radio in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com and www.parax.com, we'll welcome New England broadcaster Dave Kane for a look at his family's ongoing contact with his son, Nikki, youngest victim of the Station Nightclub fire in Rhode Island in 2003. Okay, and tonight we leave you with a quote about the multiverse from, of all people, that skeptic of skepticemics, Michael Shermer. Quote, From what we now know about the cosmos, to think that all this was created for just one species among tens of millions... I can't finish the quote because we don't have time. Okay, I'll finish. All right. Among tens of millions of species who live on one planet, circling one of a couple of hundred billion stars located in one galaxy among hundreds of billions of galaxies all of which are in one universe among 